Welcome to Sunday Showcase. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. How do I? I'll skip ahead of it. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 no! You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this and cue the organist. You see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. Greetings all who gather here and welcome back to Season 4 of Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, and even if it ain't, I must inform you that this is Episode 39, also known as our fourth episode of 2023, a.k.a. Episode 2 of Season 4. My name is Pete. I'm Pat. And this is Paul. Wait, did you hear that, friends? Either Dave's voice has changed, or we have ourselves yet another third co-host. A very astute observation, Mr. Arbizi. You're right, Dave's voice has changed. <laughs> no, no. no, it's the other thing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to introduce our fourth third, Pat Rosebank. <laughs> Hi, Pat, and welcome to the dark side. <laughs> I'd say we have cookies, but uh, I think Pete ate the last one. Uh, I'm sorry. Welcome, Pat, and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm in Toronto, Canada. Great White North, eh? Um, eh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I first became interested in old-time radio, I guess I was about 12, maybe 13. I mean, my parents had talked about it many a time you know dad referred to the front hall closet as fibber's closet and stuff like that and every time i mentioned uh let's pretend to my mom because i had a record of it she would sing the cream of wheat jingle she's 85 now she has dementia but still if i mention let's pretend she goes right into the cream of wheat jingle oh, that's word nice. for word because that was a sponsor of it the first otr that I really remember hearing, I think was, well, there were a couple of records I got from the public library and one was War of the Worlds. And the thing that always stuck with me, even to this day, was where the guy is, you know, crawling, trying to find another human, trying to find civilization, and he meets up with a squirrel. For some reason, that just stuck with me. It's a uh, very the, poignant moment. I, I really enjoyed it that, is, yeah. that, that part as well. Yeah. Um, the other one that I heard was, I think it was Inner Sanctum, and the story was The Wailing Wall. I'm claustrophobic. That was a hell of a story. <laughs> uh, you know, about a man who kills his wife, bricks her up in the wall, and he keeps hearing the noise, like a wailing in there. And he figures, oh, my God, she's actually alive. She's going to blow my cover. And he actually goes mad. And then it turns out, oh, there was just a hole in the wall, and the wind was blowing through it, and that was making the noise. Spoiler Sorry, a bit late on that. Um, but yeah, th those were the two that I really remember hearing. Then when I was a teenager, um, CBC Radio, I discovered, oh, they, they were still doing radio production, dramatic and comedy radio. And I really got interested in the Royal Canadian Air Force. And then I found out, oh, they, they offer free tickets to tapings. And I discovered Frantic Times as well. Same deal. So... Every other Friday night, I would go to these, um, the old CBC Cabbage Town Studios on Parliament Street. Building's still there. It's now a kid's dance theater or something. But uh, go in there for an Air Force taping. And every other Sunday night, I'd go there with my family for Frantic Times tapings. So being able to actually see it. They were comedies, yes. Yeah. Um, being able to sit there in the front row, see it being done in my formative years, it's odd for me listening to OTR because I have competing visions in my mind's eye. One is trying to keep with the visions of the story. And the other is, oh, what was it like in the studio when they were doing this? Oh, I do that So too. I can picture yeah. both at the same time. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, I was big on OTR, you know, back when I was a teenager and early 20s. And then I sort of drifted away from it. And then about three years ago, something pulled me back into it. And... Um, I discovered K 
Kathy and Elliot Lewis, and their style is so naturalistic. It just blew me away. So I've been taking lessons listening to them. So when I then direct and perform in radio plays, uh, I try to go for that subtle touch, the realism, et cetera. Now, of course, not every script calls for that. You know, sometimes you can be more over the top. You can do comedy, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. when I'm doing the drama, that's what I'm aiming for. Well, it, it's more appreciated in today's world as well. I mean, you can always mm -hmm. tell if somebody's not used to speaking in front of a microphone, if they are um, it, 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 like the, the cop on, you know, Harry Red Beaver, well, the show we did. That's the funny ago. thing, though, because, I mean, I took broadcasting. I was taught you don't do the ums and ahs and things, but that's what the Lewises did that made it sound so realistic. That's the freaky thing. You know, they were kind of, going against what you're taught you know and oh, you know. don't really have dead air but sometimes they'd have dead air yeah i wrote a few of my comedic commercials uh, a few years back with ums and uhs in them mm -hmm. like uh because it would be a natural stumbling because i'm i'm, I'm reading it and i'm saying oh so um yeah well okay and then uh like i had a commercial about i was trying to sell several boxes of irregular fortune cookies and <laughs> they're irregular because they have unusual messages that were written by a disgruntled employee of the fortune <laughs> cookie uh, bakery <clears throat> and then he read off a couple of examples and they were you know <laughs> inappropriate without being dirty it's uh, like you will you, a, a co-worker will steal your ideas and use them to get a big promotion and things like that <laughs> so uh, that's good. And, and of course, you found out about Project Audion, mm -hmm. uh, which Paul and I have been involved in as well. How did that happen for you? Did uh, you reach out or did somebody reach out to you? Let me think. Um, I discovered Generic Radio Workshop. I discovered their website and they had scripts in there that were transcribed from recordings. Mm -hmm. And I thought, OK, I used to do closed captioning. I still have my dictaphone pedal, my software, my headphones. I can basically transcribe as long as the sound quality is good enough I can transcribe a script out of anything so I started doing a whole bunch so you'll find a lot transcribed by me on the generic radio website oh, nice. good. yeah and then uh, Larry uh, Groby decided he was going to start up Project Audion because of this plague and nobody can get together and do anything mm -hmm. but that actually was really cool so he reached out to me and I said yeah sure you know and that that very first episode as my father would say, we were as green as a gecko's bum because yeah. it was brand new technology. We'd never done this before. I had performed in sort of a radio play, The Adventures of Brick Mallory. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it, it came about because I typed stuff and, you know, we did this first episode and we learned so much stuff, including, well, you've got internet latency, which means if you want something to come in on close timing, you can't because the internet will delay somebody. I do and, remember you had a lot of problems. I was in that one as well. Yeah. And you my, kept disappearing during our rehearsals. <laughs> yeah. My internet speed was so slow and the laptop I was using was so slow. Um, now I have this desktop that was built for gaming, so it is not slow. I have simple pleasures. <laughs> Pete and I have been in a few Project Audience shows as well, so it's nice that we all have something in common. Are you in charge of choosing today's selection, Pat? Yes, I am. And uh, oh, oh, but but I see Pete's waving a red flag for some uh, reason. Uh, yes, Pete. Ah, uh, yes. I'm glad I caught your attention. I'm happy to report that we've taken on a couple of sponsors here on Old Time Radio Essentials, and Paul is going to introduce one of them now. That's right, friends. We're happy to introduce the all-new, world's largest fake vomit. Manufactured by the same company that for years has been bringing you the ever-popular world's largest fake dog doo-doo. If you're known as the life of the party or the class clown or you've always wanted to be one of these funny people, then world's largest fake vomit could be your ticket to that title. Just imagine going to a friend's party with this realistic-looking puddle of fake vomit made from a space-age polymer hidden under your shirt. You wait an appropriate amount of time, and then in the kitchen or the bathroom, you slip it out and place it on the floor. And then you stagger out into the crowd, holding your stomach. And calling for a doctor. Just think of the laughs your friends will have 
after the ambulance carts you away to the hospital. And that's before they discover your prank. So be sure to get back to the party before somebody throws it away, because these things ain't cheap. That's the world's largest fake vomit, available in a variety of styles, such as salmon mousse. Spaghetti and meatballs. And beef stroganoff. You can find world's largest fake vomit wherever fine novelties are sold. Except no substitutes. So, Pat, you were just about to tell us about your selection. What are you kicking off your tenure with us today? Well, this isn't really my selection, but something suggested by a listener who wrote to us a couple of weeks ago. Essential listener Ted Allen, as a matter of fact, who writes, I'm Ted. I play jazz guitar. I cook. I do occasional radio shows on our public radio station. I listen to old-time radio. I like your group. I think I've scanned most of them, but has anyone brought up The Diary of Fate? This show needs to be explored. Harry Red Beaver has nothing on this show. Hey, this Ted guy sounds nice. I wonder if he likes long walks on the beach. Well, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Pat. Go ahead. <laughs> and so I took that suggestion and chose the episode called The Trina Crawley Entry, originally broadcast in syndication around the 9th of March, 1948. Diary of Fate is a horror program wherein the character Fate narrates a morality tale and woe betide the person on the wrong end. The character of Fate plays a bit more of a role than mere observer. He creates situations to force the protagonist into a choice, usually the wrong one. The show aired from 1947 to 1948, and only 24 episodes are known to survive. While not as successful as similar shows like Inter Sanctum, it did have a solid lineup of stars, including Lorene Tuttle, Larry Dobkin, Frank Albertson, Howard McNear, Dawes Butler, and was... William John Stone. And now, without further delay, we present The Diary of Fate, the Trina Crawley entry from March 9th, 1948 or so, in syndication. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency. Get comfortable and listen. The Diary of Fate. Fate plays no favorite. It could happen to you. Book 74, page 309. In the Diary of Fate. Yes, here it is. The name Trina Crowley, housewife. A record with little to distinguish it until toward the end of the page. And there the notations become more crowded, more distasteful. For 23 years, Trina Crowley has lived on this earth. And now she sits sobbing alone. For in a few moments, she will start her walk to the gas chamber, cursing me, fate, for the bonds of circumstance I wove around her. In a moment, I will read from her record in The Diary of Fate. I hope you'll understand. Put that phone down, Jake. The gun. So you knew about the money in the trunk. That's just what I thought you Drop that phone, Jake. Give me that gun, Trina. Stay where you are. Trina, give me that... Oh, Jake! For six years, Trina had been married to Jake Crowley. And she felt but a certain affection for him. To Trina, Jake had come as an answer to her prayer. The means by which she could escape the humdrum life of Redland. But the wonderful lodge which Jake owned in the mystic Mojave had become a dusty auto court 
in the stifling desert. But let us go back to a June morning, the last day of the tourist season. Until November, you and your husband would be alone, Trina, merely existing until cooler weather allowed you to open again. You were having breakfast with Jake, thinking of the ordeal of surviving the lonely months ahead. Eight o'clock. Eight in the morning and it's so hot already you can't breathe. Is there more coffee? No. Jake, why don't we get away somewhere this summer? Jake, do you have to read the paper while I'm talking? Says here a guy up in Pendleton Jake, got... listen to me. I'm sick and tired of all of this. The heat, the spiders. Jake, why don't we get a change and go away somewhere? Like we used to. We could have fun, Jake. Look, Trina, we can't go away, and that's final. We have some fixing up to do. We don't have money enough to go away. We do. We don't. Now, will you let me read the paper? If you're going to read, you might at least let me have some of the paper. Oh, for goodness sake, here. Oh, never mind. Not that important. Crowley life. <laughs> Nothing but a shack in the desert. Wish I were in Bessie Halton's shoes. Maybe it's a good thing you're not. Why? Listen to this. Uh, Bessie Halton, owner of the Halton Lodge Mojave, is believed to have disappeared... It is thought she was on her way to the bank with deposits from the lodge. When last seen, she was with a tall, handsome man, about 35. Uh, police suspect that... Oh, that's a lot of hooey. Uh, what do you mean, hooey? She had $20,000 with her. If I know Bessie, she'll do all right. She'll turn up. Uh, and the police are all wrong. Huh? She's probably gone off somewhere, having the time of her life. Uh, paper here says a tall, handsome stranger... Well, that's what happens when you play around with strange men. Oh, for goodness sake, Jake. She'll turn up someplace. And then crow about the wonderful time she had on her trip. If I know Bessie, she'll turn up. As the day wore on, you forgot about everything, didn't you, Trina? Everything except the heat and your growing resentment toward your husband. It was growing dark as you and he sat at the dinner table in silence. And then a car pulled a stop outside. Remember? Jake, there's someone outside. I heard it. Hello! Oh, looking for a room? Oh, yeah, I was. You're not closed, are you? Closed tomorrow. This is our last day for the season. You got something I can have for the night? Ah, uh, 3A is open. It's the only one. It's, uh... 450. That's good enough. Glad I found your place. I'd like a shower after a hot day like today. And I didn't really see the idea of driving all night. Well, if you want to go right to your room, you can come back to the office and register later. Thanks, I'll do that. Uh, say, Mr. Barton. Uh, look, I'll drive your car down, Mr. Barton. You might as well register now. Oh, that's okay. I'll drive down myself. Well, I just... What's the matter? Something wrong? Well, to tell you the truth... You see, this close to the end of the season, we, we get paid in advance. Oh, well, yeah. $50. Hey, just a minute, I'll get you change. What's the matter, Jake? Who was that? Oh, guy named Barton driving a new Packard. Well? I'm going to put him in 3A. He uh, gave me a 50. A $50 bill to pay for a $2 room? Well, I told him it was 450 yeah, Trina. Hmm? There's blood on the seat of his car. Oh, now you're playing Sherlock Holmes. Okay, okay, be smart. I tell you, it's blood. Something funny about that guy. Oh, Jake, stop making... And as soon as he gets settled in 3A, I'm going to have a look at his car. There, see it? Now what do you got to say? It, it does look like blood. I knew there was something phony about Barton. That's why I got him to pay in advance. You looking for something? Ah, uh, hey, we just noticed there's blood on the seat of your car. At least it looks like it. It is blood. I cut my hand on the windowing. <laughs> Bandaged it with my handkerchief. Not too good, but it'll do. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm Mrs. Crowley. We just came down to see if there was anything you wanted. No. 
No, thanks. Hey, say, I see you got a trunk in the back there. Want some help with it? No, I'll uh, leave it in the car, thanks. I'll be glad to help you into the cabin with it. You must have a lot of clothes in it. Well, as a matter of fact, they're ties. Ties? That whole big trunk? I'm traveling for the Swerdling Tie Company. Those are samples. Are you sure you don't want anything? Oh, everything's fine, thanks. Don't worry about me. I'll be okay. If you want anything, Mr. Barton, be sure to let me know. Walked back to the office with your husband, you thought about his stupidity, about the heat, about his childish imagination, and about the handsome Ralph Barton. As you sat down and lit a cigarette, you realized Jake was talking. And that routine about cutting his hand on a win-win. <laughs> Trina, there's something funny about all this. If Mr. Barton says that's how he cut his hand, that's how it was. He doesn't look like he'd lie. And that trunk. Why should he leave the trunk out in the car? He said there were ties in it. Ties. <laughs> you ever saw a whole trunk full of ties? Trina. What? Look down there, down the drive to 3A. Why, it's Mr. Barton. He's carrying his trunk inside the cabin. Trina, Bessie Halton's lodge isn't too far from here, you know. What are you trying to build up to? Well, Bessie Halton has disappeared. And they said a tall, handsome stranger... It's, uh, it's Mr. Barton, if that's his name. He's, uh, tall and handsome. Trina, that trunk bothers me. You're not thinking that... I don't know, Trina. I don't know. The next morning, Trina, Jake was outside, working on the water pump in the shed. Looking up, you saw Barton walking toward the office. And you put a hand up to brush back some unruly hair. Straighten your dress. As he entered the office, you noticed his eyes weren't sun-bleached like Jake's. They were deep and blue. Well, good morning, Mrs. Crowley. Last night, your husband said you were closing up for the season. Yes. Well, I just wondered if it were an absolute deadline. I'd like to stay on a while if I could. Well... We officially closed, but uh, I suppose it... Well, according to my itinerary, I don't have to be in Carson City for four more days. And, uh, I like the heat. <laughs> you like the heat here? Yeah, strangely enough, I do. It's good for my sinus. And, uh, there aren't too many people. I mean, I like the quiet. Oh, there's plenty of that. Well, if you think it's all right, I'll just pay in advance for four more days then. My husband likes to play boss man, so you'll have to check with him. But just say I think it's okay, and I'm sure we'll be able to make an exception. In your case, you can find him out in the shed. Good. I'll go out and tell him. You were very pleased that chance had brought into your drab existence something out of the usual dull routine you had grown to hate. Ralph Barton. Standing behind the curtains at the window... You could hear your husband talking to Barton. Well, if Trina, Mrs. Crowley, said it was all right, it's okay with me. Good. Now, there's one other thing. I'd like to put my car in the garage. Well, guests usually leave their cars out. Uh, no, but if I'm going to be here four more days, I'd like to protect it from the sun. Well, I keep my car in the garage, and to get yours in, I'd have to move a lot of stuff. Mm, it's really pretty important to me. Don't want to ruin the paint job. Uh, perhaps this. $10 bill would make some difference? Yeah. Yeah, perhaps it would. I'll have Trina get lunch for three. Lunch is ready anytime, Jake. Okay. Now, uh, before I call Barton in, I want to tell you something. I'm not going to be here to eat with you. Why? Well, all that talk about having to put his car in the garage, well, something funny about that. You just keep Barton here and keep him busy. What do you mean, keep him busy? For how long? Look, I'm going to call Barton and tell him lunch is ready. I won't be at the table. You tell him I had to finish that work on the pump out in the shed. What are you going to... Let me finish, will you? Now, you'll have to keep him busy talking and eating for at least 20 minutes. And while you two are busy eating, I'm going to have a look in that trunk. <laughs> Trina Crowley, you were torn by mixed emotions. On the one hand, you were pleased and flattered by Ralph Barton's courtesy and attention. On the other hand, there was cold fear 
and the thought that your husband's suspicions might prove to be correct. Thoughts become the parents of the deed, but no mortal can conceal anything. All are written on the pages of time. And now, it is time for another entry on your page. When I have written, I will read from your record in The Diary of Fate. Crowley, your own greed, your evil mind would soon bring forth a decision. For while occupying Ralph Barton's attention, you knew your husband Jake was in the cabin trying to solve the mystery of the trunk. Something more, Mr. Barton? Oh, not another thing, thank you. When it's this hot, I don't have much appetite. Oh, but that certainly was a wonderful lunch, Mr. Crowley. Too bad your husband missed it. Oh, he's so used to my cooking, he doesn't think twice about it anymore. Ah, lucky man, Mr. Crowley. Although, uh, maybe a bit blind. Well, if you'll excuse me. Oh, but, but you can't go yet. I, I have some fresh berry pie for dessert. Oh, no, I've got to stop sometime. <laughs> You'll have me wanting to stay here forever. Would that be so terrible? Uh, I think it might be fun, but I don't think the home office would approve. Let me get you that pie. No, thanks. Nothing more. I'm going back to my camp. Oh, Mr. Barton. What are you doing in here, Crawley? Oh, I uh, came down to clean up your room. Your wife said you were out back. Well, I thought I might just as well clean your room before lunch. When you clean the guest rooms, do you always try to open trunks? I suggest that you leave now. Look, Mr. Barton, you've got this all wrong. I wouldn't want anything to happen to you, Mr. Crowley. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Barton. I told you to keep Barton here at the table until I got back. Well, the man wasn't hungry. What can I do? Tie him up and force food down his throat? I tell you, I did everything I could. All right, all right. Don't blow your top. Listen, Trina, I'm convinced he's got something besides ties in that trunk. He's too concerned about it. You think Barton's a killer, don't you? I'm convinced of it. Jake, what are you going to do? I'm taking the car, going into Mojave to get the late paper. Going to leave me here? You'll be all right. Just stay here, inside. You can keep an eye on Barton. If there's a reward, I want it. Jake. What? Jake, what do you think really is in that trunk? I think it's the body of Bessie Halton. <laughs> Trina, your husband, left for Mojave. He wouldn't be back for over an hour. And you were alone with Ralph Barton. Again, you had that same mixture of emotions. Fear that he might be the killer. And yet, a quickening of the pulse as you thought of his attractiveness. And suddenly, a car drove up. Sergeant Good afternoon, Mrs. Crowley. Will you come in? No, thanks. Just stop by for a moment. Got some unpleasant news for you. They found Bessie Halton's body in Rock Canyon. Oh, how terrible. But she didn't find any money. The killer must have got away with about $20,000. $20,000? May have been more. But they figure Bessie Halton had at least that much when she left the lodge. But I really cannot ask a question. About what, Sergeant? I wondered if you've seen any strange men around during the last couple of days. Why, uh... Well, I know you're closed down for the season, so I won't ask to see you, Reg. Oh, yes, we are. We're closed officially. Anyway, I noticed there aren't any cars in front of your cabin. Oh, no, no, there aren't any. You think this man uh, still has the $20,000? Oh, we're sure of it, ma'am. You haven't seen anyone, huh? No, no, I haven't seen anyone. Well, I'll get along then. Thanks, Mr. Crowley. Sorry to bother you. Oh, no bother at all. But if you happen to see a stranger around, you let us know, won't you? You might be that guy we're looking for. Yes, I, I will. Goodbye. Bye. A stranger with $20,000. 
$20,000 in cash. Yes, Trina Crowley. $20,000. Your husband was wrong then, wasn't he? There couldn't be a body in that trunk, but there could be money. You thought of this as you walked toward cabin 3A. And you were smiling as you knocked on the door of Ralph Barton's cabin. Oh, hello, Mrs. Crowley. I brought down some clean sheets and pillowcases. Oh, very thoughtful of you. Won't you come in? Yes, I, I will, thanks. I guess Jake was a little out of line. Oh, that. <laughs> I'd forgotten. Guess I blew up. Well, I'm glad the pretty member of the Crowley family forgives me. You see, Jake's so tied up in this murder that Murder? He... The Bessie Halton murder. Surely you knew about that. Well, I did read something about her disappearance. I wasn't too interested. Jake was. And is. He went into town to get the late papers. Wants to see if they've caught the killer yet. Oh. Do you think they have? No. And I think he's too smart to get caught. It's a long drive to Mojave. They could be gone an hour or so. Oh. Uh, Trina. Yes? Wasn't that a police car that came in a while ago? Yes, it was. The officer wanted to know if there had been any strangers around here. But I told him there hadn't been. After all, you're not a stranger now. Are you? They found Bessie's body in Red Rock Canyon. But they didn't find any money. The man who killed her must still have it with him. Twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand's a lot of iron men. What would you do if you had twenty thousand dollars? Oh, I don't know, Trina. Why? Oh, I was just thinking. The guy that got that money isn't going to have a worry in the world. Do you suppose he has a girl? Oh, I wouldn't know. Mm, she's lucky. You know, I'd do anything for $20,000. Or half of it. Anything? Mm, I might even kill for it. <laughs> That's pretty broad, isn't it? Ralph, if you had that money, if I say, would you take me away with you? You're married, remember? I'm pretty, aren't I? Aren't I, Ralph? Trina, let's not get involved in something. Excuse me. Please. Trina. Trina, that, that shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have happened? Why? Why? You're a very attractive girl, Trina, but you're married. Why couldn't you? Let's take driving him now. Come on, we'll walk out and meet him. Listen, Ralph. Hello, Mr. Crowley. Back early, huh? Yes, I picked up a paper at Benson Corners, uh... Didn't have to go all the way to Mojave. What's the matter, Jake? Uh, come into the house, Trina. I want to talk to you. And, uh, Mr. Barton? Yes? You can wipe that lipstick off. In a minute, I leave you make a pass at Barton. Look, Jake, it was just one just of Just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, I know. I understand you, Trina. It was perfectly harmless, Jake, really. That man in three years is probably the murderer. And you say making love to him is perfectly harmless? I wasn't making love to him. He grabbed me and kissed me. And then you came in and... You're sure you're not thinking about the 20 G's in that trunk of his? The papers say the police found the body, but not the money. So, uh, he's got the money. And I'm going to turn him in. What are you going to do? Phone the police. Tell them where this guy is. Don't do it, Jake. What do you mean? That man's a killer. Put that phone down, Jake. The gun. So you knew about the money in the trunk. That's just what I thought you were. Drop that phone, Jake. Give me that gun, Trina. Stay where you are. Trina, give me that Oh, Jake! You stood there, terror-struck for a moment, Trina. And then the gun fell from nerveless fingers. Your husband was dead at your feet. You'd killed him. I heard a shot. What Ralph, he's dead. Jake's dead. I shot him. Trina, what do you mean? Darling, we've got to get away. But listen, Trina. Don't you understand? Jake's dead. We've got to get away. But I can't. You've got money, lots of money. We can go away, far away. Maybe Mexico. 
Trina, listen. You've got me. more money in your trunk than we'll ever be able to spend. Hurry. Please, Trina, let me. Money's explain. the most important thing in the world. I've always thought so. And now I've killed her. Oh, my darling, hurry, please. I'm trying to tell you, Trina, that oh, I don't. I love you so much, Ralph. I always have, ever since you first walked in the door. But Ralph just stood there, Trina. He wouldn't admit to having any money. And he wouldn't leave with you. And then you heard something. A car. A police car was coming in the drive. And the web was closing more tightly around you. And then you decided on a last gamble. That's the police car, Ralph. This is your last chance. If you don't leave with me, I'll accuse you of my husband's murder. You've already killed one person. The police will believe anything I say. No, Trina, I won't. Okay. Officer, Sergeant Colpack in here. Hello, Mrs. Crowley. There he is. That's the man, the murderer. He's the killer. The killer, Mrs. Crowley? He murdered Bessie Halton. Bessie? <laughs> I'm afraid there's a mistake. We found the killer this afternoon in Reno. He confessed the whole story. Oh, no. He was romancing Bessie Halton for her money, and when she wouldn't part with it, well... That's not true. This man did it. I know he did it. Look in the trunk if you don't believe me. All right, Mrs. Crawley, all right. Take it easy. We'll look in this trunk. Come on, mister, let's have a look. And so the three of you, the officer, Ralph Barton, and you, Trina, went to cabin 3A, and you watched as the trunk was opened. As the lid swung up, the officer looked into the depths and felt among the contents. Then he straightened. I don't know that I see anything incriminating about a trunk full of ties. Ties? They were ties. All the time. Now, officer, I think you'd better have a look in the bedroom of the other house. This lady's husband is there. Dead. <laughs> of fate writes the final entry. Lest any mortal should think fate unkind, cruel, or unmindful of justice that must be meted out. In a moment, I will read from the page of Trina Crowley in the Diary of Fate. <laughs> Complete. A moment ago, a deadly pellet was dropped automatically into a liquid beneath the chair in an isolated cubicle at state prison. And now, Trina Crowley is dead. Investigation by the authorities proved beyond a doubt that Trina Crowley murdered her own husband. Ralph Barton was exonerated of all suspicion. His watchfulness over his trunk was due to the fact that twice before during his career as a salesman of men's neckwear, he had been robbed. And so I close the book. Another page in the life of a mortal has been duly recorded in the ledger of the universe, by me, fate. I, who am but the instrument in the plan. Take heed, all you who listen, and remember, there is a page for you in The Diary of Fate. <laughs> 
by Larry Finley. Diary of Fate is a Finley transcription brought to you from Hollywood. We're back with Old Time Radio Essentials. This is Pete with Pat and Paul. And that was an episode of The Diary of Fate, originally broadcast on or about March 9th, 1948, in syndication. And now, Pat, since this is your very first pick, you get to start out with an explanation as to why you chose this particular episode. <laughs> and it better be a damn good one. Uh, pure selfishness on my part. Um, <laughs> of the surviving episodes, only two of them contain female leads. And hey, as a, a radio performer, I'm always looking at stuff thinking, OK, how could I fit into this? <laughs> so, yeah, I picked this one. Um, plain and simple. Um. It was interesting. Uh, I noticed a whole bunch of notes. Well, you know, bits seem to have been borrowed from various sources instead of being totally original. I mean, a lot of the plot to me seemed reminiscent or derivative of Postman Always Rings Twice. You know, um, the oh, whole yeah. setup to me. Yeah, the, the, the whole the, setup the, the... with the remote hotel and things like that yeah. yeah and the board wife and it's rural and her husband you know it, it's he's a simple-minded boring unpassionate level-headed suspicious country guy and she just wants <laughs> to get out of there and live a little so a handsome stranger shows up and the stranger seems suspicious but oh he's handsome and hey he he could be a murderer oh not just a murderer but He's taking a whole bunch of money. Oh, this could be my ticket out of here. Yes. You know, like the whole thing, it's just, you know, and overall, it, it doesn't really help that right at the outset, we know how it's going to end. You know, it starts with that and then you get, then you go into a flashback and you get the story. But I just found so many logical holes in that story, like holes big enough to drive a truck through. It, it's really, um, you know, well, Let's see. As I said, you've got the major spoiler that it gives the climax up front and then flashes back. And it does this in every episode. Every episode, you know how it's going to end. Well, so, they're consistent. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's, you know, maybe the whole point of it is to enjoy the journey to hell. Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. But, you know, overall, I mean, the logical flaws, like for one, and I hope everybody's listened to the episode because this is going to be full of spoilers. But, you know, traveling salesmen do not carry huge trunks. They will carry a suitcase with a few samples in it and maybe catalogs. They're not going to carry everything. In fact, shoe salesmen used to even have miniature shoes made, like, you know, the size to fit a little person instead of having to carry a suitcase full of full-size shoes. They're going to travel light. And the way it's done is you look at the samples, you look at the catalogs, you choose what you want, you know, because it's it's wholesale. So he's going to retail stores and doing this. You choose what you want. He submits the order to head office. Head office fills it. He is not going to be traveling with a big honking trunk full of all the merchandise he wants to sell. This is not going to happen. It just isn't. Well, maybe you're not as smart as you think, because obviously it did, because he had one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. He probably inherited those ties, and he's trying to offload them. No, no, no. He says, well, and the other logical flaw, of course, is who the hell steals trunks? And how, like, they are big. They are heavy. One person cannot do this. This would have to be, you know, a multi-person operation, and it just, you know, and how are you going to hide it once you've got it? You know, it's such and a deliberate table. setup. He's got a trunk because, oh, there could be a body in it. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what we'll do. Um, other questions. Okay. Um, who doesn't call the cops when they think a dangerous murder has shown up? Like, well, I'm going to investigate him myself. But <laughs> who, who does this? You know, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, another one. Uh, even a rural cop would be suspicious when he tells someone about a terrible murder and a robbery of a large sum of money, and he actually tells her how much money. And what does she say? She asks him about the money. Hmm. Like, I'm thinking even a rural cop would find that just a bit suspicious. You know, horrible murder, and she's asking about the money. Why is she asking about the money? Well, maybe it just, he knows her, and that's the way she always is. Yeah, I don't know. 
And, you know, like the, the other thing, like Barton seems to have this really unnatural paranoia or attachment to his trunk full of ties. Like if it really contains ties, why doesn't he just open it up and show them? You know, so they know what it is. Like, does he really think these two are going to be, you know, tie thieves? Jump like them, gonna... take his ties. How many ties would a trunk hold? It would hold hundreds of them. Like, it's just, this is a massive, massive leap of logic that all this stuff happens. You know, it's like the writer's going, okay, well, well, we got to write this. Well, what plot point can we put in? Oh, yeah, but that doesn't, never mind, we'll just put it in for the sake of the story. We'll put it in. No no one will catch on. It's late at night. They're not paying attention. They're half asleep, you know. But it just, you know, like I'm looking at these massive logical flaws. But, you know, this series did have really good radio actors in it. They could have done with better direction and a better script. But, you know, I really did enjoy Trina, you know, because it's, you know, she is the classic femme fatale. And she is dropping hints as if they're anvils. This was just yeah. <laughs> truly, you know, you're not. Subtle. Yeah. Subtlety does not enter into this picture. And, you know, overall, yeah, you've got the cheesiness of the organ music and you, you've got fate there who doesn't really sound particularly ominous. You know, his voice isn't really deep enough. It's, you know, there's a little echo there maybe, but it just, yeah, I don't know. The organ music just, you know, and minimal sound effects. And I'm used to shows that have at least slightly more detailed sound beds and sound effects. But this one is just the barest minimum. I could live with that. But the organ, the organ music just, <laughs> that's it. It totally cheesifies it for me. Oh, and of course, it, uh, you know, it, it rips off the concept of the whistler, you know, the sinister supernatural narrator who manipulates people into doing bad stuff and then punishes them for daring to do bad stuff. Um, Lights Out would like its gong back because it uses the gong too. Um, it, you know, it just, it, and Fate's narration there, it, it really struck me as, well, like the pompous narration if you're familiar with Plan 9 from Outer Space, Criswell doing the speech at the beginning of that movie, and then Bella Lugosi as this, again, sinister supernatural, pull this switch, pull this switch. You know, it's just, it, it's a wonderful fondue of an episode and probably a good fondue of a series. <laughs> cool. What are you Well, Paul? you said not to hold back. No, no, that's great. I don't know. Some of it sounded an awful lot like a fine left something for the rest of us. <laughs> it was, I hate to say this to our, to our faithful listener, but it was kind of painful. It really was. <laughs> it's like the, I, I swear they actually, because I listened to several episodes and and it's almost like he really thinks He's doing moral good in the world by letting him know that you can't get away with anything mm. because fate will find you. Be good <laughs> or else. You know, and it just kind of like beat you over the head with the behave. You know, it's like, okay, have you never heard of latchkey kids? You know, just <laughs> you're kind of yelling at him, make sure you behave. I'll be home before you know it. <laughs> you know? And I I, I I thought it was just yeah, a little over the top with that. I, this is from the guy who picked Harry Red Beaver, and I'm saying this seems <laughs> a little bit over the top, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and her, oh, boy, I just, I, I loved you, oh, my God, I loved you as the moment <laughs> I saw you. It's like, you're not going to take me. Cop, he's got the dead body. He's the murderer. <laughs> Just later. Talk about turning on, on, on a dime like that. Whoo, boy, that dime sends sparks. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm done listening to it. <laughs> Pete, your turn. All right. Well, I agree with Pat. This is a, a cut rate whistler for sure. Uh, a bargain basement whistler without the sinister tone of that series. Um, as, as Pat said, everything seems to be given away at the beginning and then repeated in linear time. But then 
there doesn't seem to be a real twist ending. It's okay, give away the murder, sure, and then come back to the murder, but then there needs to be a twist. The guy didn't kill the woman in question. He really did have ties in his trunk. That's not a twist ending. That's not really anything that's, you know, full of suspense. Uh, it I, could have been full of suspenders. But um, but that's good. <laughs> now, just like you said, I, 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 in my notes, I said the voice of fate is poorly cast. He sounds like a newscaster or a standard mm-hmm. radio announcer, like Harry Von Zell or somebody. Uh, there's no sinister uh, tone to his voice, like with the uh, the sh- the whistler. Now, do you? I don't know if you ever noticed this, but I think I don't know who the the actor's voice who who was the actor who played the whistler but i always thought he sounded like raymond massey mm. and that's who i picture when i picture yeah. the the whistler he sounds mm. like raymond massey well, this guy sounded like raymond him. massey a bit uh, no. no it's not him no, no i know it's not him yeah. but i i was getting a little raymond massey off him also mm. oh no i mean when raymond massey played um the evil brother in uh Arsenic, Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah, yeah, that one. That that Raymond Massey. Okay. Now, while the acting is okay, I felt they did a good job of carrying it, but the dialogue was really poorly written. It's too on the nose. Like this guy says, maybe this $10 bill will convince you, mm-hmm. for example. And, and it, if I had written it, it would have been, maybe this will convince you. And then the other guy says, 10 yep. bucks. Oh, like yeah. that. That's a little better. Uh, and then the actress playing Trina, didn't she sound to you like she's more like 40 instead of 23? She's supposed to be 23 years old, and she sounds like It was she's... a rough 23 years. Yeah, yeah. She, she sounded much older, and <laughs> yeah. like she was much older and smoked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the I desert living in aged her yeah. prematurely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to live in the desert. It makes you old before your time. <laughs> oh, that dry air is bad for your throat. Now, I will compliment the writing so far as to say that I liked a couple of little things that made the conversations between Trina and her husband more realistic. Like Trina's talking and her husband interrupts her and she says, let me finish. Mm-hmm. Now that to me was a little bit of realism, which was nice. Uh, it, 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 uh, it lent itself to that, to that very well, but it could have been better overall. Uh, I think if there'd been an actual twist to the story, like for instance, the mysterious stranger hadn't killed the neighbor with $20,000, but he did have a body in his trunk. Yeah. Who is it, right? Then we'd have something. Yes, we would. Also, if Trina had actually acknowledged the existence of fate, blamed fate on her bad luck, then it might have worked better for me. Uh, mm-hmm. As it was, this fate guy was just a storyteller. He didn't really seem to have any control over the characters. And even though... The point of it is that fate is driving them to it. It didn't seem like he had any sort of control. It didn't seem to be actually driving them toward this these destructive acts. He yeah. was just there saying that it is. It's like a guy who comes later and said, yeah, I did that. That's what it sounds <laughs> like to me. I did that. Not anything like, and so I did this. And that caused her to do that. Yeah. You know, that, that it's not part of the story. So. Overall, it just, I, I, I didn't buy it as, uh, as any kind of real, real entertainment. It wasn't a good story in the long run. Anybody else have anything to add to our discussion? Okay, let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we are voting on A, whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series, and two, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection. And again, Pat, since this is your selection, you go first. Okay. Um, now, I was unable to steal myself to listen to the entire series, but I did listen to about eight episodes or so, six or eight oh episodes. So, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I was doing other stuff at the time. I was you know that's the beauty of radio you can be doing other stuff at the time and still listening to it and have you, you know. recovered properly since then oh yes just fine okay. as long as you weren't what do you ask yeah. it's just a little tick yeah it's um you know and you just listen to the whole series and you know this is the setup it's you're gonna get told the ending at the beginning fate's gonna 
sort of shake a finger and that's it's pretty representative yeah as for whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection no unless the radio aficionado really likes to derives great pleasure from the bad you know the the schadenfreudal radio fan you know you you listen to that and you think oh i'm glad i wasn't involved with that or possibly even a masochistic fan might like it <laughs> i wouldn't know but yeah it's it's an interesting example but it's not really one that i want to listen to over and over okay how about you paul <sighs> what do you say what do you say I listened to several of the episodes getting ready for the show, and I'm sorry, Ted. I'm glad we're done. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was just kind of painful. Yes, there are people out there. I mean, I don't even think this could qualify as schlock. You know, it would have to have a little more humor in it to be considered schlock. And it's just kind of, I don't know, pandering? You think it takes itself <laughs> too seriously? Yeah, it's like, oh, man, it was, especially, and yeah, it it is representative of the rest of the series, because listen to something, it's like, wow, they're all the same, you know, and yeah, if you really want to put this in your radio collection, keep it away from the other stuff so it doesn't <laughs> contaminate it, <laughs> but if you want it, go ahead. It's a free world. Do as you want. Yeah. Sucker. <laughs> oh, that's Sorry, Ted. All right. Well, um, as for me, I, I, again, it was just amazing that I agreed with, with both of you. <laughs> I only listened to this one. And I'm guessing, I guessed when I wrote my notes that this was a representative episode of the overall series. Shows like these were formulaic, probably followed the same pattern each time. That's what I wrote, and that's what Paul said, mm -hmm. followed the same pattern each time. Well, it was <clears> transcribed <throat> and syndicated, so, you know, they're yeah. kind of doing it on the cheap, and, yeah. you know. So that's, that's part, that's A. And for two, it does not belong in any aficionado's collection. Now, I'm reading from my notes before I ever knew what Pat was going to say, unless they're <laughs> an aficionado of crap. <laughs> oh, you're an old-time radio collector? What do you collect? The crappy series. Ooh, I want to have your babies. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh -huh. I loved you. I loved you as soon as you came into the room. Loved with, with, your, with your collection of, of the diary of fate stuck between your teeth. Mm. All right. Very good. Very, very good. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, it's good that we're all in accord on this is what I'm implying. We all yeah. we all agree that it's really not good. Sorry, Ted. It's yeah, just Sorry, Ted. It's, it's not just... even good to dance to. <laughs> it ain't got a beat. I felt beaten by the time. I... <laughs> I I did feel beat when I was done with it. Oh my god, I'm so tired. I felt so beaten. Oh, I did. <laughs> Okay, any other comments about that? No? Okay. None that it's we time, can hear. It's <laughs> None time that are printable, no. <laughs> it's time to introduce our second sponsor for this episode, and I'm going to ask Pat to step up to the microphone and tell us who that is. Thanks, Pete. Folks, I don't know anybody who doesn't like the taste and aroma of piping hot, freshly cooked fried chicken. Boy, I'll say, Pat, there's nothing I like better than to walk into the house after a hard day of berating my co-workers and to be seized by the delicious smell of chicken frying in the kitchen. But it's so time-consuming to make yourself. It sure is, Paul. And that's why I'm happy to tell you about Hannibal Leghorn's Fried Chicken, the only fried chicken actually fried by chickens. Wait, what was that? Chickens who are able to fry chickens? How can such a thing be? Well, Pete, we haven't yet had that fully explained to us, but hey, who are we to question them? Hey, I'm willing to take their word for it. Yeah? Yeah. Take a look at their press release. Their logo is a cartoon chicken 
eating a chicken leg. Proof positive. But how does it taste? Far as I'm concerned, if the chickens will eat it, it's probably pretty good. Well, I'm sold. And folks, you will be too. There's probably a Hannibal Leghorns close by your house. So make plans to stop in soon for a bucket of that delicious crispy fried chicken fried by chickens. And remember their new motto. If chickens will eat it, it's probably pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, this brings us to the end of episode 39. Or, if you live in a parallel universe, episode 2 of season 4 with Pat Rosebank, Pete Lutz, and me, Paul RBC. Uh, Next go-around will be my pick, and that's going to be Bold Venture. Sounds good to me, Paulie. Pat, let me say that I think you're going to work out in this here third co-host spot. What do you think, Paul? Uh, I think she'll do okay as long as she kind of opens up, comes out of her shell a little bit. She's a little oh, too reserved for she's us. She's a so little far. nervous. I Have think. I mentioned I used to do burlesque and I know how to twirl tassels? <laughs> Seriously, I do. This is a family show, goddammit. <laughs> I can twirl tassels, too. (laughs) (laughs) How the hell Uh, hard is it once you get them on your finger? uh, This was fun. Wow. (laughs) I want to thank our essential listener, Ted, for victimizing us. uh, I I mean, uh, introducing us to this series. And we hope he'll suggest something else in future. (laughs) Just in future. Yes, definitely, Ted. And no hard feelings about this one, hey? (laughs) All right, and now, Paul, Pat, tell the masses what they need to know. Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe on any podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and or Narada Radio Company. Please follow us on the Twitter at Essentials Old. And join our Facebook group, Narada Radio Company Productions, to get updates on upcoming episodes of this show, plus future audio dramas. If you want to suggest an episode, write us at f6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, as in Frank or Fish, the number six, the word P-O-I-N-T, what it's rude to do, and the number three at gmail.com. Put the word essentials in the subject line. Remember, folks, we're always happy to hear from our listeners, so please do send us feedback and suggestions. And if you didn't catch our email when Pat spelled it out, rewind and listen again or just look for it in the show notes. Okay, I think we've wasted enough of these fine people's time, so let's wrap things up. Hey, thanks, Paulie. Thanks, Pat. And please join us again next time, won't you, for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now. Adios. Bye. 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 Don't make the door way out. Come back again next time. audio this is mutual hi i'm kai and chris conroy and i'm leonard vizelsniks and we're here to tell you about the technical difficulties podcast That's right, Leonard. Do you remember those thrilling days of yesteryear? The Depression was in full swing, FDR was president, and we were ankle-deep in the last guilt-free war we'll ever fight. That's right. Big Band was the music of the era. You could see a movie with a trolley in it for five cents and hop on Betty Davis for a dime. And of course... You read that wrong. It's what it says in the script. Give me that. Johnson and Jefferson hop on Betty Davis for a dime. See, I told you. My mistake. No problem. 
And of course, the crowned king of entertainment was the radio. The radio! All the greats were there. Jack Benny, Burns and Allen. The Shadow, the Whistler. Red Rider and the Lone Ranger. And of course, Bob and Ray. Well, those days are gone forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, since that part of your schedule is kind of freed up now, uh, we thought maybe you'd like to listen to our show. It's called Technical Difficulties. It's a scripted sketch comedy podcast. Produced weekly, there is over 75 episodes. With an archive of over 30 hours of original comedy content. And featuring a cast of over 300 characters, all voiced by one guy. That would be me, Kyan Chris Conroy. I write, produce, direct, and perform the entire ding-dang thing all by myself. Well, you do have occasional guests. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, not very often. Okie dokie. Well, if you'd like to hear Technical Difficulties, here's how. Well, yes, Lennon. To do the announcer voice. Huh? Oh, oh, right, right. If you'd like to listen to the Technical Difficulties podcast, then head on over to techdiff.com, T-E-K-D-I-F-F.com to pick up the RSS feed, or go over to iTunes where you can subscribe there under comedy. That's right. It's spelled technical, T-E-K-N-I-K-A-L. We spelled it funny because who wants an audience to be able to find you easily? Yes, we were being clever. Yeah. Certainly outsmarted ourselves. Mm-hmm. So remember, that's Technical Difficulties at techdiff, T-E-K-D-I-F-F, dot com for all your comedy needs. Go on over there and give it a listen. Come on, Hitler's dead. You've got the time. That's techdiff.com, T-E-K-D-I-F-F. Hope to see you there. Hokey dokey. Bye. I'd jump on Betty Davis for a dime. You and me both bust up. That'd be like, what, 20 cents or something? That's Technical Difficulties, T-E-K-N-I-K-A-L-D-I-F-F-I-K-U-L-T-I-E-S, techdiff.com.